one. Boys and girls, welcome back to your favourite show. This is the Carnage House Productions podcast. I'm your host, Dougal Cameron. Today I have with me a, uh, a man who has been on this podcast before two years ago. And a lot, lot's happened in between. He's, he's a uh, very big player in the Animal Justice Party and the animal rights scene uh, in Australia and New South Wales in particular. And I actually missed, missed seeing him when I was in Upper Hunter when he was the Animal Justice Party candidate for, for Upper Hunter. But um, he's got a lot of credentials, PhD candidate, almost finished, he tells me, in science. Um, podcast host of Morality is Hard, vegan space scientist on YouTube, uh, general advocate of animal rights, Michael Deliacovo. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Google. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's really good to be back. Nice to see you again after two years. Yeah, well, it's good we haven't been cancelled. There's a chance that, you know, I'm happy to be here. Uh, and a lot has happened in the last, in the last couple of years. Um, and the Animal Justice Party, I was surprised to see you guys, at, as a lot of people were surprised to see me at, with, with the LDP up at the Upper Hunter by-election. Um, and I've seen you running is it, as a candidate in a few different, uh, a few different elections. So what's been, uh, what's been going on with you and, and the AJP in the past couple of years for all the viewers? And why don't you give a brief introduction to the AJP for new viewers? Yeah, happy to. So the Animal Justice Party, we... Um, political party formed in about 2011 and we formed because of a frustration uh, of our founding members um, that there wasn't enough concern about animals in parliament and most laws are made we're in mind of humans and don't really consider how it impacts non-humans so whether that's uh, domestic animals animals in farms or companion animals or wild animals uh, most laws don't really take into account um, we would argue enough uh, their interests. So we were formed to try and create legislative change in Parliament to um, change laws to improve the lives of animals. Uh, and so whether that's uh, at a federal level, state or council, we're running all of those elections. Uh, we're trying to uh, make sure animals' interests are covered. Mm. And the AJP does have several elected members. Is it two in New South Wales, one in Victoria? That's right. Yeah. So for state, we have two in New South Wales, one in Victoria, and I believe we have two um, elected councillors in Victoria now as well. Very nice. And I was having a look at um, a couple of the parliamentary profiles of a few of them, but have there been any um, any any victories for the AJP in in any of the any of the states or things you can point to about about what what you guys are happy to have achieved so far? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. So we have we have had some wins. Um, being a minor party, it's sometimes um, a bit of a struggle to, to get run on the board, but I, I, I think we have had I'm some, actually so. part of the LDP now, and they're, on, they're minor, minor. Um, right. but, uh, but, yeah, I feel your pain, but continue. Yeah, so we one of our big wins is we've had six councils across Australia go fur free, so that means they don't, um, they don't allow fur, the sales of fur on council land. Um, so it's right. it's small because I mean when you think of council land, it's not all of the land. It's not like every single shop on in the council doesn't sell fair anymore. But it's uh, things like uh, markets that are on council land and that kind of thing. So they're not allowed to sell fair anymore. This follows um, Berkeley was one of the first councils uh, in the U.S. to um, pass this change. 
it's, it sounds small, but I think it's symbolic because it means the council is saying that they don't think that industry is acceptable. Um, we've managed to increase the penalties for animal abuse in New South Wales. Um, a lot of the penalties uh, for animal abuse in Parliament, uh, so in a in legal system, it, it are just they're not reflective of um, the, the act that's been committed. So we've been able to increase the penalties. Can you give an, uh, exa can you give an example of, of like a penalty that might have been increased or something that's not like proportionate or wasn't proportionate before? Sure. Um, I'm not like off the top of my head. I can't think of like a specific example. Um, there was an example last year. I think this was in Western Australia, but it's pretty, um, uh, pretty, I guess, symbolic of, um, the situation it's they ran over an emu on purpose uh and were fined something like a thousand dollars give or take uh, and that was right. it um and, and just related to that as well so uh we new south wales has recently become the first state in the country to ban anyone convicted of serious animal abuse offenses from working or with animals or owning animals again so so one example of that, um, of uh, why that was brought about in the first place is uh, a Sydney petting zoo operator was allowed to continue working with animals in that role, despite having previously been jailed for uh, stabbing a dog with a pitchfork and hanging them up on a tree to die. Uh, and yet, so that they went to jail for that, but they were still able to continue to work with animals uh, in their role as a petting zoo operator. So with this new legislation in New South Wales, Australia is, uh, New South Wales is the first state in Australia um, where that's not allowed because we think that uh, if, if they've demonstrated that in the past, then they're just clearly not fit to work with animals. Um, so that just doesn't make sense. Right. Um, I, I see on the, on the website, you just triggered my memory about um, one of the things that the, the party platform runs on is uh, strict penalties for animal abuse and crimes against animals and, and things like that. Um, is there, is it like you, uh, I for one have no idea about crimes against animals in any like legal sense. Um, but is it a position that generally just the, the punishments that are being received are not proportionate or is it just that there's a general instinct that any crime against animals should be really seriously punished. Like, is there, I guess, is there an, is there like an end to, to that? I guess is, is my question. Like it, if, it, in terms of maintaining a proportionality compared to like human crimes or something, like, do you get where I'm, what I'm, what I'm kind of asking? Yeah, I think I get what you're asking. I have to admit it, that um, error policy is not exactly my expertise either. I, I'm I, especially with that, um, uh, the court system it's not something i know a lot about but i guess what i can say is um where we I, th I think the idea is that we make the uh, punishment more in line with um the seriousness of the crime that's been committed so uh i think pretty much everyone could agree that uh a one thousand dollar fine for intentionally running over an animal um is probably not enough and uh we want there to be enough of a um enough of a uh, repercussion for committing these acts that is actually a deterrent um, right i think the argument is that it's it's simply not enough of a deterrent in some cases where the the punishment is so low that it, it really just doesn't um stop anyone from committing these acts of animal cruelty 
Mm. So they need to at least be high enough that it is going to uh, make people not want to commit these acts. Um, mm. And I guess uh, uh, how high they should be, I, I suppose, is open to argument. And I, I don't know really what my position would be specifically on that, but uh, I think they definitely should be higher than they are now. Right. Uh, I remember last time we spoke, you were, um, as I think you still are, leader of like the, the youth wing of the AJP. Um, and you were looking to get into potentially some elected roles. And and you obviously ran an upper hunter because I saw you on, on the ballot sheet, even though I couldn't see you at the booth. We're obviously different booths. Um, what's been, what have you been up to personally in, in, in your political capacity over the, over the last couple of years and and where do you where do you want to be what what's your kind of what's your future looking like sure so first i just have to correct you a little bit there i'm actually um i haven't been the leader of the youth wing for uh i think about a year and a half now i stepped down from that role i did stay on right, the someone's getting fired on this end of my crack <laughs> researchers are uh, obviously losing their job um but I, I actually did step down from the committee entirely um just about a month ago uh uh, so no longer in that role anymore. Um, I, I turn I turn thirty next year, so uh, won't be in the youth wing for much too much longer, unfortunately. Um, All right, they but, kick uh, out the uh, the old youth, do they? <laughs> Once you get to thirty, that's it. <laughs> um, mm. No, so uh, I think the youth wing is still going really well. Uh, still very proud of what I was able to achieve in my time there. Um, I, I was one of the first members in fact the youth wing is why i got um, really active with the animal justice party in the first place i had been a member for two years before um the youth wing was founded but uh i really only started to get active when uh, i heard there was a chance of a youth wing starting up so uh, for anyone who's not aware young animal justice party is um it's it's by young people for young people uh and it's the um the part of the party that focuses on things like youth development, um, giving skills for young people in political advocacy and activism and um, just, just uh, I guess, uh, development, professional development skills in general, so public speaking. Uh, it's a place for young people's voices to be heard in the party and it's also a place for young people to be active um, and involved in um, political advocacy and volunteering. So, for example, we have um, talks from staff from Parliament to come and talk about what it's like to be a politician or what it's like to be a political staffer. Uh, we have uh, volunteering, probably shouldn't say we anymore, I guess, but uh, the Young Animal Justice Party has uh, volunteering opportunities to get involved, like for example, um, going to work at a uh, volunteer at a Greyhound Rescue Centre um, to work directly with animals. Mm. And um, how have you found, um, not elected yet, but what's your, how do you feel like the political process is 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 going? Have you been encouraged or disillusioned, or how do you feel like the uh, political process incorporates, like the voice of a minor party, for instance? Sure. So I, I actually just just remembered something I wanted to say. The uh, Upper Hunter by election that that was um, uh, for me at least that was fairly last minute. I wasn't intending to run. I, I mean, probably no one was. It's a by election, but it happened. Uh, I, I, the minor parties. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I stepped up uh, just just to fill that spot. I guess um, personally, don't live in the Upper Hunter area, um, but was keen to get involved. Animals and, do. Um, <laughs> animals. Of course, there. of course. Yep, plenty of animals up there. Um, <laughs> anyway, so. I, I don't think I've become more disillusioned. I think I'm pretty much bang on where I was a few years ago. 
Uh, so yeah, as you said, I've run a few times now. I'm actually also running uh, in the council elections later this year, um, running for Inner West Council in the Gilgadjah Leichhardt Ward. So that, that'll be my fourth election. Um, all right, well, we'll put all those links in the description. I know you're, you're rattling off the youth wing and they did. We'll put them all in the, you just have to <laughs> yeah, send I'm them and put them in stuff. the description. Sure. So yeah, I think, uh, I think one, one thing I'll say is I think it's easier to get elected as a minor party uh, a member of a minor party than probably a lot of people think. Uh, I mean, I, it's still hard and it's harder than being in a major party. But in the upper house um, for state and federal, uh, especially for state, it's uh, a lot easier to get elected as a minor party member than it would be to get elected to the lower house as a minor party um, member. So uh, because you need a much smaller percentage of, of votes and you can get in with preferences much more easily. Yeah, I know so, that's what the LDP did with Lionhelm. He mm, slipped in with hardly any of the <laughs> any of the major party votes, and that's probably so any the first primary vote, whatever it's called. Right, right, yeah, mm. yeah. So I think it's probably easy to to, to have members of elected of a minor party, um, and to be able to get into parliament and um, start making some changes than probably a lot mm. of think. Uh, for council, this is this is um, probably the first time in New South Wales, at least, that we've made a really serious go of running for council. So um, I guess we'll see what happens, but I'm feeling pretty hopeful that we'll get at least a few members uh, in New South Wales elected to council. Um, hopefully following the success of Victoria, we had two members, as I said, elected to council. Uh, and council, I think you can still make a lot of meaningful changes for animals. Um, it's obviously a much more local focus, but there's still a lot of issues that affect animals at the council level. Um, so if we can get a few members elected, which I think we will, then it'd be really good. Mm. I guess one more thing I wanted to ask was, oh, you, you've been in this party for a while. How long? I think I've been a member for about four or five years. Five years, I think, coming up on, yeah. Right. And so the Animal Justice Party is like predominantly, at least it seems like to me, a, a one-issue party. Has your like primary interest in that one issue of like animal rights, animal justice kind of remained the same throughout that time? Or have you kind of felt like more passionate about other issues and, and things like that? Or are you, are you pretty happy on the, on the one issue being your main one? Um, yes, first I want to push back just a little bit on us being a single issue party. I know that that, that comes up a lot and um, I can see why people would say that, but animals uh, are so affected by so many different issues. Um, you right. know, every single legislative change, almost every legislative change will impact animals in some way. So, um, and uh, yeah, I think I, I wouldn't quite say we're a single issue party. I think um, we focus primarily on uh, animals, but so many different issues affect animals that there's a lot of, a lot of issues that we have, uh, that we focus on. So um, you're asking about me personally though, I guess. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, so, like you, you yeah. really want to say something about like interest rates occasionally, or are you like fairly, fairly happy with where you are? So. I, I have um, several different interests and uh, for a long time, animal uh, rights and animal protection has been um, one of my main interests. Uh, politically, it's I'm happy for it to be my main interest because I think there's, there's some value to be had in um, becoming quite focused on uh, a particular area of issues. You know, if, if obviously if if I am elected and interest rates happen to come up in legislation, uh, I have to do my research and come up, have an opinion on that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's what our elected members do when, you know, they focus on, on animal issues, but when other issues come up, they 
they work out what they have to what what the they think the right position is for me yeah for me personally i mean in in other areas of my life i i i have um uh i have other interests so uh about so in 2016 i worked with a uh, international development charity um and was briefly the ceo of effective altruism australia um and for for many years um even before i became vegan or became really interested in animal rights i was most passionate about international development uh, and then i became passionate about climate change and then animal protection uh and then i'm also interested in, i guess in ensuring that the uh that the future of humanity and life on earth is is going to be not you know uh, is going to be as good it's going to be yes well that's exactly right i mean i've got into my phd in space science to look at asteroids and um uh look at asteroid deflection and um off-earth mining because of my interest in ensuring that the future of humanity is good so yeah, well, other, if, um, go on sorry well so if we find some like cool cool mining on like different countries like some cool uh resource or something it might be you know that the, the animals presumably won't be affected if we can mine stuff on on mars so the, the environment i mean the environmental benefits uh are actually one of the the arguments for off-earth mining especially if if the resources are being used to fuel um space exploration or some other space industry that doesn't exist yet uh but you, you can imagine if um if you wanted to, to say some people have talked to seriously about um, putting solar panels on the moon and then wirelessly beaming um, electricity back to earth via lasers and using that as a as an energy source um, physically cool. possible hasn't been done yet but uh, at least not that that scale and distance but uh, if we could get the materials we need to do that by mining them off the moon that saves a lot of launch costs that saves you having to mine them on earth, which obviously comes with, uh, you know, mm, some amount of environmental damage and mm. yeah, exactly. So, um, so my, yeah, my PhD has been looking at, uh, the use of geophysics. So prospecting, uh, and, um, using physics to try and find out what's under the surface, but with a focus on off earth exploration. So for example, how can we use, um, how can we use seismic, which is um, a, a form of sending sound waves into the earth to build up a picture of what this, the subsurface looks like and then applying that mm. to how can we find, say, ice or silica or whatever we want to mine uh, from a moon, an asteroid, Mars, and uh, mm. how, how can we find those and how can we turn those into resources that we can use? Mm. Well, I got one more, uh, one additional final question before, before we get to the first, uh, first break is um, with, uh, you know, you've mentioned your passion about climate change, um, you know, considering the environment, environmental impacts of mining. Um, and, you know, I'm associated with a lot of people, at least in my space of people who, who either don't believe in climate change or you know, don't agree with any policy that addresses it. I personally have no opinion on it yet because I haven't looked looked at it at all. But the party, which I'm part of, the LDP, is very big on nuclear energy. And I guess the there's a, it's a politically unpopular issue in Australia because there's a sense among people that nuclear energy is, like, environmentally dangerous and damaging um, and to people as well. And, um, you know... There's obviously the examples of nuclear reactor uh, muck-ups 
in Japan and other places. Um, do, do you personally or does the AJP have, have any thoughts on nuclear? Because it seems like it could be a, at least from where, where I'm standing, a really good middle ground in terms of doesn't produce any carbon, carbon dioxide or, or emissions or, or, or whatever, um, or whatever. I'm very educated on this. And um, also, uh, so, so you can meet your net zero climate goals, or whatever, but it's also a very efficient uh, energy resource. Um, and do you have anything to say about that or does the AJP have a policy on that? Sure. So to my knowledge, the Animal Justice Party does not have a policy on nuclear specifically. We have policies about wanting to progress to um, clean energy, renewable energy and and um, so on. But I, I don't think nuclear specifically is covered in that. Not at, le at least nothing specifically for, nothing specifically against. Uh, me personally, I'm actually quite positive on nuclear energy. Um, I... Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, it, like you say, it, it sounds like a good middle ground between um, uh, between people who want to reduce emissions and people who, um, the, I mean, there's a lot of overlap with, uh, uh, I, I guess, the, I'm trying to think of how I can word what I want to say, but I think um, perhaps the um, politically right, which tends to be more um, pro-nuclear, I think, you know, that that's kind of a win-win situation where you could have both sides getting what they want. One side, you know, gets the mining, uh, the you know, industry benefit that they want, and the other side gets the um, environmental benefits that they want. To to make it very, way more to simplify than it than that argument actually cool. is. But uh, yeah, I mean, I I for for safety, uh, and there's been some really big um, uh, public disasters. The reason I think why people often think that nuclear is more dangerous than it is is because the nature of the disasters are when bad things happen, they happen really big. But for example, uh, with say wind turbines, wind turbines often catch on fire. Um, they have to be maintained. There's uh, there's other oh, downsides does, like- does the, does the AJP have a policy on wind turbines? Yes, I'm pretty sure they regularly hit birds. Yes, they do. I mean, that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, it's, I guess it's the downside of wind turbines for sure. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Now, we know we're famous for dribbling. I've done a bit of dribbling so far. Um, but we got, as people, long-time sub subscribers of the channel know, we do a penthouse giveaway for the alpha male section of the week. And that's the winter edition of penthouse. Got some good articles besides the uh, lovely uh, spreads you'll find uh, in there. Um, and... Uh, Basically, all you have to do to win is comment in the, in the comment section of this video who's been an alpha male of the week and why. Now, the alpha male does not have to be a male. can be an institution. can be anybody. And the alpha part of it just means someone who stood up for what they believed in, done something cool, maybe gone against the establishment. Um, we've had a few great winners. You can check past videos, but up to you. We'll mail it to you for free. And uh, when you win, we'll let you know and, and, and we'll send it to you. So make sure you comment on that. And uh, go get yourself a subscription to Penthouse if uh, if you dig it. All righty. Thanks for putting up with that, Michael. No problem. Now, the next thing I wanted to ask you about was was ethics. And I think we briefly touched on it um, in the last podcast. And I remember an interesting uh, kind of exchange we had where we were talking about, I guess, the value of a, of a human life versus like an animal life. Um, and, you know, I think one of the, one of the things you said was that um, you know, uh, the life of an ant, for example, is is obviously not like as morally worthy as as a human life. Um, and 
given that I've recently just taken an ethics and philosophy class introduction at university, I thought we'd get into it a little bit. Um, sure. And one of the, um, uh, before we actually get into the, to the proper ethics, I want to bring up this, as I mentioned to you before, this, this uh, Pete, uh, Steve Irwin uh, debacle that happened a, a couple of years ago. And this is, you know, front and centre of, I guess, Australian ethics uh, when it comes to uh, uh, having a go at people who are maybe as popular as Jesus in, in the history of this country, um, Steve Irwin. When, uh, it, I know you haven't seen this before, but basically Google did a, a Google Doodle. You know how they sometimes do those? Where they it's do like, like the little animations on the, the Google, Google thing. Sure, yeah. And basically they had Steve Irwin cuddling a crocodile in like a rainforest or something, right? And Peter tweeted, Steve Irwin was killed while harassing a stingray. He dangled his baby while feeding a crocodile and wrestled wild animals who were minding their own business. Today's Google Doodle sends a dangerous fawning message. Wild animals are entitled to be left alone in their natural habitat. So I wanted to ask, I know there's probably a very, this might be a hot topic and a loaded question from the Australian public's point of view, but general general thoughts on Steve Irwin and uh, Peter's tweet, if you want to comment on it. Great. Well, you've definitely put me on the spot. I had not, I was not aware of that. Um, love it. So, okay. Uh, look, I, I, I actually don't know. I mean, they, they listed a few examples there, which I am only vaguely familiar with. So they say that Steve Irwin is harassing a stingray. I know that he was killed by Stingray. I, I don't know what he was doing uh, at the time. Do, do you think that's a fair, fair thing oh, to say? Definitely. Anyway? It would not have surprised me if he was wrestling with it, fucking with it, okay. <laughs> doing all types of things. To all it. right. Um, look, I think, I think uh, obviously that was a very unpopular statement because Steve Irwin is so popular in Australia. Uh, he's, he's, even um, before his passing, he was a massive icon. Um, I think the the spirit of what they're saying i think um i think could could well be true there's there may have been and look i, I honestly don't know much about what steve owen got up to um but I, I can i can certainly see that it's possible that he did some things that um were not in the best interest of the wild animals uh so mm. i think i think that part could be could be right um steve Irwin's done a lot to i guess educate um people in australia and, and globally on what the life of a wild animal is like but that may well have come with some downsides of um i, I guess getting up in their business when maybe they didn't they didn't want that well i would say definitely who's getting up in their business i mean there's probably some crocodiles that didn't want to get uh wrestled like that uh, maybe they thought it was fun but the uh one of the cool things i do like about steve Irwin a lot well two things firstly is like just on the crocodile example, but I feel like it probably extends to other animals, is a lot of the shows of the crocodile hunter was like farmers calling in and saying, look, I got this big crocodile on my farm. Um, what do we do about it? And Steve will say, don't worry, don't kill it. I'm coming to get it. And then he would wrestle it, put a cloth over its head and helicopter it somewhere else, right? And I thought that was quite cool. And probably would that be something that, that you generally approve of? Yeah, pers I mean, personally, that sounds pretty good, and I, I think that's a good example of how if you if you get a if you hear like a headline of something, like you can very easily come up on the wrong side of something. Like at first, it might sound like oh, bothering the crocodile, which was my first yeah. impression, but you know, I wasn't aware that there was some extra context there that actually maybe that it wasn't the best interest of the crocodile.
Yeah, hundred percent. He's a great dude, and 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 there's there's uh you know sometimes when 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 you get uh in in your feels on YouTube, you go and watch some of Steve Owen's like last interviews. Like I don't know, I've done it, and uh, one of the things they talk about is you know they say so you became like a international icon, not just Australian icon. Like all the Americans know who the Crocodile Hunter is. He's on all their mm-hmm. talk shows and stuff, and they're like, so what do you do with your money? And he says, well, I just buy land and turn it into like national parks or whatever and put, put animals back in there because, you know, land actually does cost money and as, as much as we want at the end of the day for, for everything to be, you know, a natural, pristine environment, you know, someone probably does have to pay for it and that's what I'm doing with my money. I thought that's a really cool. I could nominate Steve Irwin for an alpha male of the week, although he would get it every week. Um, so I don't know if you've seen much of Steve Irwin, but he's one of my favourite people of all time. Put him on the $100 bill or something. Yeah, sounds sounds reasonable. I mean, I, I have to admit, I I don't didn't know a lot about them. Um, mm. Maybe I should maybe I should go watch some of these interviews. But uh, well, I no, tell you it, what. Sounds, it sounds it sounds like uh, from what you're from what you're describing, it sounds like he did have uh, the interest of animals in mind. Well, I tell you what, you can get your fact checkers to uh, to check that out. But I don't know what the uh, what what the legality of it is. But if you can get some Steve Irwin. Um, branding and messaging coming through the AJP, I think that would probably resonate with people. You know, <laughs> we're probably some the somewhere there. Maybe we'd have to call the, is there a Steve Irwin Foundation? Maybe we'd have to contact Well, his family's still going strong. I know Bindi just sure, got married. Yeah. That made me feel a bit old. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, all right. So in, in the ethics, um, there's this, I guess, I guess I came about it in um, my philosophy an ethics class in relation to euthanasia and abortion. And the discussion uh, actually is largely revolves around uh, personhood, right? Being a person, which is actually, according to these philosophers, different than being a human being. Because being a person requires some rational and mental faculties that that don't exist in some humans, like unborn babies or fetuses and like really old people who are in palliative care and your permanent vegetative state, right? And so then the argument for euthanasia, for example, is that these human beings are not actually people when they've lost all their mental faculties. Therefore, it's okay to end their life, right? And that's the, this is just for the viewers, you'd already know this, but, and and the same argument is made with fetuses or unborn babies which is that they haven't yet developed the faculties that make them a person. Therefore, it is okay to end their life, uh, to painlessly end their life um, because they're not yet a human who deserves like the moral consideration that so they're not yet a person that deserves the, the consideration of, of an adult human. Now, the interesting thing about this argument is that when we define person on the basis of uh, mental faculties, is that often animals will score, some animals will score higher in mental faculties than really small children or unborn babies and those old people in human vegetative states or, or whatever the case may be. But interestingly, particularly toddlers, right? A lot of, you know, humans generally consider toddlers like, you know, potentially most valuable of, of, of everyone. Um, but when you base the criteria for moral, uh, what do you call it, moral worth on rational faculties or, you know, mental faculties, which are more present in something like an ape than they are in a child or in a baby, then the argument goes that potentially those apes should get greater moral consideration than children without, you know, who don't qualify for personhood. 
Um, and potentially I didn't do the best job of explaining that and you can expand on that. But I just want to ask you like kind of what your ethical position is, presumably influenced by like Peter Singer who wrote that famous animal rights book. Um, and if you want to give like a general introduction on your thoughts and the Animal Justice Party thoughts on personhood and things like that. Yep, happy to. So um, I'll speak mostly from my um, personal views on this one, I think. But uh, so my, um, yeah, I mean, my eth ethical views are fairly heavily influenced by Peter Singer. Don't agree with him on everything, but a lot of what he says I agree with. Uh, in particular, um, the ethical framework of utilitarianism, uh, I think, is where what I would call myself. So um, what that means is uh, I think actions um, are ethically right or wrong based on the consequences of those actions. And the consequences I'm interested in is um, how it uh, increases happiness and how it um, increases suffering or reduces either of those two. So I think suffering is bad um, of any conscious mind. Um, happiness is good. And uh, so I'm interested in what are the consequences of actions and how does it influence um, happiness and suffering? Uh, and that's how I decide, I guess, whether an act is good or not. So um, an important follow-on, which brings me back to your question uh, of that is um, I'm interested in whether any individual animal uh, or life form is capable of um, conscious experience, is capable of experiencing suffering, pleasure, emotions, and all that. So, uh, yeah, I think what you said is right, where... Um, uh, for example, a, um, a lot of primates, uh, even some other animals can be as intelligent as humans, say, of um, very young age. Uh, but also, I think more importantly, is their capacity for suffering. So um, for, for mammals, for fishes, and for a lot of um, categories of animals, uh, we are pretty confident they have um, a great capacity to suffer and arguably on par with a human's capacity to suffer comparably so if not um if not the same necessarily so from that i'd say that uh um yeah i think we can make a reasonable argument that uh mm. non-humans are worthy of moral consideration and uh, for example if uh, there's this this concept of uh moral um patience versus moral agents not to get too into the the philosophy i guess but uh, a, mor a moral um don't worry uh, we have a very high iq audience don't you worry about that <laughs> okay oh, good so a moral uh, moral agent is something like an adult human. Uh, they are um, not only just capable of experiencing um, pain, suffering, and feeling, but they're also um, able to rationally think about their ethical choices and to act based on um, you know some kind of ethics. Whereas uh, we might say um, a six-month-old human. Now we'd call them a moral patient because they are still capable of um, experiencing pain and so on. Um, but we wouldn't hold them morally accountable for their actions because that doesn't make sense. They're not developed enough to be able to, to do that. So they'd be a moral a moral patient, but not a moral right. agent. Um, and I'd put non-human animals in the same category of being a, uh, as, as a six-month-old human, for example, of being a moral patient, not a moral agent. Right. But that still means that their interests um, should be considered. Now, one, one strange thing when I... Um, was was doing that subject was that it seemed like a lot of the literature coming out about personhood like the philosophy papers 
on both sides of the abortion argument, which I did a paper on, were motivated by finding philosophical justifications for what they already felt were correct, right? So mm -hmm. on one hand, you had the, let's say, conservative side who were trying to find philosophical justifications for, for why it was obviously bad to kill a baby or an unborn baby. And on the, let's say, progressive side, you had uh, academics find trying to find justifications for why it's fine to kill a fetus. And I, I'm, I, 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 uh, <laughs> it was actually funny because they were explicitly saying that in their philosophy papers. They're like, we need to come up with a reason that will actually satisfy the, the feminist movement, right? I'm not like attributing that motive to them. They, they say that. Um, sure. But one of the, one of the problems they, they ran into is that when they found the, the personhood argument, the criteria for personhood that if not met, lets you kill uh, a, a fetus, let's say, um, morally, is that you also run into this problem of why it's it, all those same arguments apply to babies, which most people would find um, pretty, pretty crazy. Um, and specifically what I wanted to ask you about was like these, these philosophers come up with, um, or at least my philosophy teacher, so, so far as he represents the broader philosophical community, um, is basically comes to the conclusion that if an animal is sentient or a person is sentient or whatever, that they can feel pleasure and pain is the criteria for that, then it's not morally wrong to painlessly kill them, right? It's only morally wrong to kill them, you know, with, with pain. Um, and, and so, you know, so far as they can experience pain and pleasure, it's wrong to inflict pain on them. But if you don't inflict pain on them and you kill them anyway, then that's, that's all right. Um, and that's then the argument they apply to, you know, um, fetuses and, and even babies in, in some cases. Um, so is it, from the animal justice position, right, if you're dealing mainly with sentient animals, but potentially in some cases more cognitively developed animals like primates, um, do you guys like consider a distinction among those animals with those extra rational faculties in terms of the rightness or wrongness of, of killing them? Or are you just, advocating on all of their behalves to not be killed or, or whatever so i so i don't think uh there's a lot of distinction um in our policy between those different species and levels of mental um faculty because i i think we're so far from even like most animals being considered at all in legislation that i think that's just like really putting um Right, you'll know you've made it when you go to make those distinctions. <laughs> when we get to that fine level of detail, I think, you know, we'd probably be very happy that we've managed to get there. But we're so far from there, I think it's just not been mm. really effective to even be talking a lot about that. Um, so at the moment... Well, what do you think personally? What do you think personally yeah. on that? Like, would you say it's... Um, would you generally agree with, like, the philosophy which, which talks about that the only there's only harm in killing like an animal that qualifies as a person versus one that qualifies for, for sentience. So, yeah, I've had this, I've had this conversation a lot with uh, some friends. Um, so I'll, I'll, yeah, I think it's extremely, um, sometimes, sometimes it's like pretty uh, complicated, but I think, so what you're talking about really is like it's sometimes called the replaceability argument. So the idea is like, if you could, um, uh, painlessly kill a cow and replace them with another cow 
let's say both of whom are leading happy lives, is that morally bad or is that morally neutral? Or even uh, if you just kill a cow painlessly. Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, so from the utilitarian spec perspective, which is, you know, suffering bad, pleasure good. Um, if in uh, in theory, in and also in, in like the isolated, let's say, thought experiment, um, you could painlessly kill some animal, uh, then um, I, I suppose that's more that act is morally neutral. From in in my that's my opinion, um, and that follows from utilitarianism. But um, whenever that comes back to something practical, like okay, can we do this? Is it now fine to do this? Let's say in a farm or something. I think it becomes much, much more complicated than the, the simple thought experiment, because I think it's not realistic to be able to kill, um, to be able to kill any sentient life without pain. Uh, I think there's always going to be at least a small amount of pain associated, but even if it's an instant death, let's say, um, it also raises the question of, um, so for example, I think that if, if it's morally acceptable to do that for non-humans, and I think that you know, non-humans have somewhat as much moral, um, moral consideration as humans should, it kind of raises the question of, well, is that okay for to do for humans now? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I think so in, in practical terms, if we had a society where that's how we saw death as being acceptable in any case, as long as it was painless, I think that that leads to a lot of additional negative outcomes that might be hard to foresee or to predict but it doesn't sound like that it'd, like it'd be a good society to live in right i guess so um yeah well, so that, that's, that's, yeah well i mean that's what i was thinking in my philosophy class and you know it's when 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 you're being taught by trained philosophers it's it's hard to convince them out of their position with uh with rational thought but you know i've, I've been it i've been thinking a lot about this in the in the past couple of months is um because they make some fairly convincing logical arguments that extend in, into human life, particularly babies. And why is it bad to kill, you know, a baby? You know, you have to really think about that if you accept this personhood, um, if you accept this, this personhood criteria. But so would you would you be kind of aligned with the idea that it's it's generally bad to painlessly kill babies and potentially also bad to painlessly kill animals? Because I quite uh, I, I'm quite uh enjoying that position that i'm in right now okay yeah i in so if we as soon as we get away from the thought experiment and get into practicality then yes i'd agree that that's a bad idea um so to take i wanted to say something about abortion as well where i mean if um i think it's i i would i'm you can correct me maybe if this is not the position that someone who is um, anti-abortion would have, but I, I would think that someone who is anti-abortion would agree that, um, let's say within seconds of conception or hours, or even a day of conception, um, a human is not conscious, uh, you know, it's, it's a few cells. So there's obviously some cutoff point somewhere where, or maybe it's a very gray area where you get from, uh, it's no longer just some cells and it now has at least some small rudimentary level of consciousness i have no idea where that is i know some scientists have tried to uh, approach this problem and try and say okay well so they, they might say something like um abortion should be not allowed from this age after this amount of time after conception because that's when we think that 
they now yeah. have some conscious capacities. Um, so, I mean, that's that's how I'd be thinking about that problem, I guess, is, uh, it, yeah, it's it's because, as again, from the perspective of um, I care about the, you know, I care about conscious minds and I, I don't care about a rock for its own sake because it's not conscious, then, uh, yeah. you know, it's if I, I guess I'd apply that, that, that train of thought to abortion. Um, yeah, ex exactly. And it's this weird gray area where like the, the real strong abortion and like they make some fairly strong logical arguments, which I, I don't really agree with in terms of setting up that personhood criteria, but it does seem to me, and I feel like most people who have their morality not grounded in like formal philosophy training, including me, um, feel like that there is some gray area where like, you know, the day after, you know, everyone, a lot of people being in that position, you go take that pill, you go, you know, a couple months after, you know, that's a bit shit, but, you know, maybe we understand. But, you know, the day before you give birth, you know, that's probably a bit too far. Like there's probably somewhere in between. And I feel like most people agree on that. I think in Australia it's mostly uh, pretty accessible until like the 20-something week. Um, and anyway, I, I think by that time, like, hopefully you would have already made your decision and like that's probably a fair amount of time but anyway that's that's not we're going to get ourselves in trouble here when we start talking about when we start talking about these things um now one thing the next thing on uh, an ethical question i wanted to ask you is um you know being being a, a young man on on the internet on the line uh as i am i've consumed a fair bit of joe rogan experience Sure. And he talks about his experience or, or his uncomfortability with the documentaries and videos that were coming out about factory farming and didn't want to be a part of it or, or contribute to that. And that's why he personally took up hunting. And so he says, you know, he will go in the wild, go on this kind of quite cool, almost some level spiritual, you know, tapping into his inner masculinity or whatever, chase down an elk, kill it with a bow and arrow or, or a gun or whatever it is. And he'll go and eat that. That'll last him for like nine months. And he doesn't go and buy meat, right? So he goes and that's that's his source of, of meat. And he just freezes that up. Um, do you think that there's a, a meaningful difference in ethics from your perspective on, on farming versus hunting? Or is it, my guess is it'd be some utilitarian argument about the suffering in cages or, but I don't want to put words in your mouth. Sure. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have didn't know that about Joe Rogan. Um, the only the only episodes of the Joe Rogan experience I've watched are when he interviews a guest that I'd want to listen to. So the space guys, the, the people get sucked up in UFOs. I I didn't. Does he? Okay, I haven't He's seen that one like that. I haven't watched it either, but I've heard about it. He interviews a guy who's one hundred percent convinced he got sucked up in UFOs, which is a lot more credible now that the Pentagon is releasing all of this stuff saying that UFOs do exist and we have no idea about them. But anyway. Yeah, it's uh, no, I haven't seen that one, but I have, have seen a little bit. So, I mean, okay, hunting versus factory farming is what the question's about. And mm. um, there's obviously a difference. Uh, now, I I think, I, 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 I don't think I can say that. Um, uh, I guess this is a, a little bit coming back to the last question of um, a painless death. If, if, a, if you were able to painlessly kill an animal, um, then I would have to say that that's better than factory farming. Um, I don't think it's 
the best outcome because I mean, yeah, the, that that elk's probably getting shot with a bow and arrow. Like that's not dying and right at the start. No, absolutely. I mean, that, so again, that's that's what it's like in theory, but in practice, that's we we know that a lot of animals who die in hunting died long, slow, painful deaths, um, and even in, even in the best of cases, in the best of times. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think it's still problematic that you're taking the life of someone. So again, in in practical terms, in a society where we think we feel like we're able to um, take the life of an animal uh, just because we want to eat them that you know if, if it's not for survival i think survival is an important distinction if, if you don't need to do this to live because you have a supermarket down the road where you can buy some lovely vegan food um then you're choosing to kill an animal that you don't have to and i think that's still um, problematic mm. now does it make a diff uh, you briefly talked about the moral patient versus moral actor thing which which probably applies in this situation but does it make a difference if uh, a human kills it or if a predator kills it or was it just that the human action because they have the capacity to choose is still in the wrong in, in your view? Yep. Um, good question. So, um, yeah, I think uh, just like I said, we wouldn't hold a, a, a six-month-old baby accountable, morally accountable for their actions. I wouldn't hold, say, a lion morally accountable for killing a gazelle. Um but what I, guess, what I think, sorry. Oh, sorry, you, sorry, you go, you go. Sure. I cut you off too um, much already. <laughs> but, uh, what, I, what I can say is, I mean, I think the suffering is bad, whether it's caused by a human or whether it's caused naturally. So um, to make this pretty clear, I think with an example, hopefully, uh, if a human is harmed by another human, we see that as morally bad. Um, but if a human suffers from some natural cause, let's say, um, I don't know, they trip over, hurt themselves, or they're attacked by some wild animal. We still think that the suffering is bad and we still try to take steps to avoid that suffering um, because we don't want that human to suffer regardless of the cause. With say if they get some disease, natural naturally caused maybe, but uh, we still want to try and stop that suffering. So now when we get into talking about, okay, now how does that play out for wild animals causing other wild animals to suffer? very difficult but there are some there are some easy there are some easy ones some easy examples that we can look at so uh we could um so let's say a population of wild animals who are suffering from some parasitic disease uh now i think it's fair to say that that suffering is still bad and we prefer those animals don't suffer so we can look at vaccinating those at wild animal populations um, or giving them protection against that parasite so that they don't suffer. And um, I, I would hope that most people would see that as, as good um, because what we're doing is reducing the amount of suffering that they feel. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's really tricky and really case by case sometimes because you have to think about how does this interact with uh, the broader ecosystem to be able to, to be making these changes. Um, but I don't think that's an argument for not thinking about reducing wild animal suffering at all. I think we need to think carefully about can we safely um, reduce the suffering of animals in the wild? Um, and if we can, I think we should. Mm. And I guess one question, I know this is going to be a, a naturalistic fallacy, but is there something, is this, is it, I mean, when a predator kills a prey, which obviously involves suffering for the prey and probably 
non-symmetric pleasure for the predator. Um, it, I mean, it, is is there something that, that's naturally justifiable, do you think, about like a human hunting and eating an animal or is that is, is that not not relevant in your opinion? I think it's not relevant. So I think I think when you when you're talking about a human, it become I think in my view it becomes very clear. Um, it's if they don't need to do it, then they shouldn't be causing suffering. Um, like I said before, if if there's other options there where they don't have to um, hunt and kill an animal, I think they should pursue those unless they absolutely need to for survival. Mm. Mm. Um. Very cool. Now, there's um. What have I got written down here? Um, I, oh, this is what I wanted to talk about. Before we get to fan questions, and sorry to all the people who have been asking fan questions, but I forgot to mention it so far. They are coming up. Um, in um, I, I, I know we briefly last time touched on some of the AJP social policies, and I don't really want to get into the social policies in particular. I just wanted to kind of extend this um, talk about ethics to maybe broader political issues. Um, this came up in my philosophy class too, right? When people talk about, you know, utilitarianism, for example, maximizing benefits and minimizing harms, let's say, and you have the option of, you know, giving to charity for a relatively small amount that could do, that could go really far, which, which wouldn't make a huge difference on your own life. That's a good thing to do. You know, you should do more of it, blah, blah, blah. I think charities are, you know, good when they, when they do their work. Um, but this, this just might be taking my personal frustrations <laughs> from, from my uh, philosophy professor and asking you to deal with them. Because um, I know you did mention, uh, I watched your video where you go through the, on your YouTube channel, um, the, let me just plug that again, the vegan space scientist on YouTube, where you go through all those moral questions and there is like discussion that you go into about, you know, whether you're obligated to give to charity all the time and things like that. Um, I know from my personal like political opinions um, is that I really like the way capitalism can lift people up out of poverty and I do, there's something that, it doesn't rub me the wrong way, but I almost feel like they're missing something when people say you can jump out of the capitalist system and give a lot of your money to charity because it'll go a really long way uh, without necessarily acknowledging how good like markets have been in lifting people up like all over the world, for example, and so that when you do buy something for, let's say, selfish personal consumption, you are actually through that process lifting up a whole range of people through a chain of connections that extend all over the world. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, personally and potentially about AJP, uh, the Animal Justice Party, um, do you guys feel like capitalism plays, like, a positive role or, like, a negative role overall? So the Animal Justice Party doesn't have does not have a policy on that. I can talk about my views. To be fair, um, the Liberal Party doesn't either. You know, they say okay. they do, but ultimately yeah. they don't. Sure. So uh, I I personally, um, if I, if I'm forced to pick a label, I'd call myself centrist because I think there are problems with the left. And I think there's problems with the right. Um, and even on this issue in particular, I think there's uh, there's upsides and there's downsides to capitalism. So you, I think you just mentioned some some good upsides. I think uh, you know there there are um, some benefits in terms of um, lifting communities out of poverty. In some cases, there are also a lot of downsides. So market failures, where things like um, 
negative externalities and addressed properly by the, the capitalist system. Um, so, I mean, I guess to put that in brief, yeah, I think there's some benefits and some, some disadvantages. Um, now, I think we can do both. I think so in terms of um, having charities and having capitalist systems, I think, I think we can do both. Um, hmm. uh, so yeah, exactly. The, the way, the way, values. Yeah. So the way, the way I see um, charity personally is uh, I, I personally do feel like a, an obligation to be able to do um, what I can to help reduce suffering, uh, especially where it doesn't really affect my, my life that much. Um, that's why I've taken a um, like a giving pledge to um, to give to charity because um, the the um, the harm I personally experienced from not having an extra whatever it is couple hundred bucks uh, versus the benefit that has in someone else's life uh, is it, it they're just not the same the 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 disadvantage I feel in in my personal happiness is just not that much because um, which which charities do you like so um at the moment i my most recently i've been um very supportive of the good food institute as as one of the main charities that i've been donating to um so i I, what they do is they um support food uh plant-based food technology cellular agriculture so we're talking about things like um creating um uh steaks out of let's say um either creating out of plants directly or like taking say a cell from an animal and then developing that into like uh, a steak um and so i i like them because i think it has a lot of potential for scale um if we can if we can make food that looks and tastes just like animal products but had no animal involved and that's just a huge game changer like you don't even have to make the the ethical argument to someone if you can make a steak cheaper, taste better, or taste just as good. Um, well, but no I don't good. usually bring in my uh, producer, Fiona, but Fiona has had uh, some experiences with um, what are they, vegan steaks and things like that. You want to give like a 10-second review of your experience with non-animal animal products? Some are really good. Some are not as good. Yeah, what's your favourite yeah. and least favourite? I don't remember. It was like three years ago that I was vegan, but... <laughs> Uh, just go through some trial and error, everybody. You can find what you like. Yeah, great. I can definitely concur. There are, now, no pun intended. <laughs> there are some good ones and there are some some pretty bad ones. Uh, yeah, I think uh, when I when I first went vegan about um, six years ago, I remember. Um, yeah, the 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 vegan cheeses were mostly pretty bad. I felt like, um, <laughs> and some of the vegan sausages were pretty bad. So. Um, yeah, but I mean, where the technology is getting better, and now they're making things like um, the Impossible Burger is made from plants. But what they've done is they've taken heme um, from the roots of a certain plant, which and that's part of what gives um, an animal product like a steak its kind of meaty, um, bloody taste. Um, mm. So they've taken that from a plant and they've used that to recreate that aspect of a of say a burger um, in, mm. in a plant based burger. So yeah, the sky is kind of the limit, I think, with uh, with technology and what we can do with that in terms of um, creating better and better uh, imitation animal products. Hundred percent. Well, that would be a great note to end on if I didn't love the sound of my own voice so much. And I've got one more little comment slash question: Is that 
in um, I, you know, sometimes things just come to mind during the interview. Um, it's like I'm channeling the Lord. Um, so I was uh, reading this, um, having a look at this cost-benefit analysis textbook one time, and it goes through like a lot of the kind of economic cost-benefit analysis that governments go through when they go do new projects, for example. And so if you're building a highway, right, you have to take in obviously all the costs of making the highway and maintenance and things like that. But then they actually also have to include the costs or the benefits of like how many lives that will save, right? So if you say replacing an old highway presents, you know, five people dying in bad accidents or whatever. And they, in the cost benefit analysis, they actually have to put a dollar value on those lives, which is kind of a strange and weird thing to do. And my and on environmental damage and presumably on animal welfare is my guess as well. Um, and that's where I see, you know, a, a, a really good contribution that, that you and Animal Justice Party uh, can make as well is on projects, like you say, where animals aren't considered in, in legislation. And obviously it's weird to get tied up in dollar values when you're considering lives. But at the end of the day, it's the government's job to spend money and they have to work out like how to do it. Um, I guess there's, there's not a specific question in that, but I don't know if you have anything to say about it. Yeah, yeah, sure. I've got something to say. Um, so yeah, I remember I, when I when I first heard about this concept of applying assigning a dollar value to lives, there was something like 10 years ago. And I thought that's, how can you do that? That's, that's, that's so unethical. But I, I see the value because I think it's, it's, you have to think about the reason why they do that. Um, and I think this applies to governments. I think this applies to any company. I think this applies to individuals as well. If you're thinking about the good you want to do in life, um, you know, we'd love to, we'd love to solve all the problems in the world, but we, whether we're an individual or a government, we have limited time and resources and especially money. Um, so we have to think about, uh, how can we, if we want to do good, how can we use that money most effectively? So for that example with the government, um, it might just look like they're applying, assigning a dollar value to a life, but what they're probably more likely thinking about in the bigger picture is they have a limited budget from taxpayer dollars, <laughs> which they have to assign uh, as best they can. And you might not agree with everything that the, the government spends that money on. I don't personally, but uh, they're, they're making an effort at least to try and uh, assign that money as, as best they can to do as much good as they can. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, when you when you think about it that way, I think it does make a little bit of sense to assign a dollar value to a life. All right. Well, God bless you guys. Hopefully you uh you get some some extra animal consideration in some of those projects. It's it's weird in the sense that everyone loves animals. I think, you know, I saw the tagline of one of the, your articles recently, you know, everyone loves animals, but they still eat meat. I mean, I still eat meat, but, you know, everyone loves animals and loves the idea of, you know, happy animals like like Bambi. And, you know, if you guys can 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 do some work getting getting some some happier animals, I think that's um, some more well-treated animals and less abused animals that potentially does does the whole world a lot of good. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's that's the hope. I hope we will. Now, there's a ton of links which we have promised to go in the description, which we'll get to. But what's what's the main pages you want to direct people to before we go? Sure. Oh, sorry, um, sorry, sorry. I Fiona just reminded me, our producer. Why don't you quickly wrap that out, and then I'll give you uh, two fan questions before you go. Yep, sounds good. So, animaljusticeparty.org.au is if you want to hear anything more about the Animal Justice Party and there's links to all the state branches there. It's got our policies if you're interested in that. Um, got information about how to be involved. So that's your one-stop shop for that. 
Um, for me personally, I think you already gave plugs for some of my stuff. So there's the YouTube channel, Vegan Space Scientist. Um, my website is michaeldela.com, but that's down at the moment because I have to renew the um, domain, but that will be hopefully back up God soon. That's, that's where I keep, that's my blog and where I keep all my, um, all my stuff. And then my podcast is Morality is Hard, which is on iTunes and SoundCloud. Um, I think that's about it. Anything else you think I didn't cover? Two questions we got for you. First of all, is uh, you would have probably seen the uh, infamous photo of the protester, quote unquote, punching the horse. Mm-hmm. Now, if you, I don't know if you've actually seen the video, he didn't actually punch the horse. Um, what basically happened was he was actually sticking his arms out while the police were like kind of riding their horses at the protesters. So Joel Jamal asks, um, what are your thoughts on banning police horses at protests? Presumably it's an unsafe environment for them, but they might have utility for the police. Is that an acceptable place to put a horse? So I, I saw the picture. Um, I hadn't seen the video. Did um, I link you the video because you'll just sure. instantly get disillusioned with the news. The, 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 the guy got charged well, and just like put his hands out like that. It's too late for me to be disillusioned with media. Um, <laughs> um, sure. So, I mean, yeah, the, the reason why they use um, horses at, at for, for crowd control is because they're very effective. And uh, I somewhere I saw something, don't know how seriously to take it, but someone uh, made the case that one horse um, is worth five police, five officers in terms of, you know, um, psychological impact in in a in a anti riot or anti protest kind of situation in terms of crowd control. So yeah, you know, they're scary they're when, you, when you're up with them. They're yeah, big. I I haven't been up. The, I've been um, you know a closer person with a with a police mounted police officer on a horse, <laughs> but I can imagine it would be scary. Um, so there's a reason why they use them, obviously. But uh, I um, look, I it's a very stressful situation. I'm sure for the for the animal um, as well as 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 the people involved. Um, I'm sure they've had they've obviously been trained these horses to to be in that environment. But um, I think with with any um, with any domesticated animal, we I think we have to think about um, their interests as well as as well as ours. With this example specifically, I I don't know. Um, you know, it, I guess it would be a cost benefit analysis that I'd actually have to do some research on to think about um, how stressful is the situation for horses? Um, what benefit are they providing? Um, are the horses um, uh, benefiting from, you know, the arrangement? Um, uh, you know, are they, are they having happy lives? Uh, yeah, those are questions I don't know the answers to, but those are the questions I'd be asking if I was to think about should horses be at these events um uh i think that's all i got for that one well i think you're giving some good answers off the dome which bodes well for your future political career <laughs> and one more final question from james ridge uh who judging by his instagram is a farmer he asks what are your thoughts on shearing he adds uh the fleeces get too heavy for animals to live if we don't do it yeah. So, um, for, for shearing specifically, I mean, yeah, there's, uh, the wool, wool sheep, how they, they have to be shorn because they, um, otherwise they suffer quite a bit if they don't, if they don't, they, um, get too hot, they get too heavy. Um, but what, what I will say is, um, that's not a sheep in their natural state. So a lot of, a lot of animals that we farm or have domesticated, they, they've been, um, 
we we bred them to be different in a lot of meaningful ways like for example with um with broiler chickens who were used who were um bred and killed for their meat um nothing like what a chicken used to be like in the wild They've, we bred them to grow faster um which causes a lot of problems um so with, with a sheep now i uh, i think um a sheep who has been bred should be um should be shorn hopefully in the in the best way possible but i but what i will say is i don't think we should be breeding more and i think we should be breeding more sheep um uh that have to be in that situation because uh, in the same way that i don't think we should be breeding more um uh chickens to for their meat who you know they grow so fast that their organs can't keep up um and right. their legs give out and so on so uh you know i my my view on on any um industry that involves the use of animals is i want to um i want these i want to, to be able to see these industries to transition to other industries uh and so for the example of sheep shearing i would um i would love to be able to see in the future um that industry helping the the farmers helping the individuals in that industry to transition to something else um because I think, uh, you know, it's uh, my, my view generally is that those industries aren't sustainable and we should be looking at moving to something else. Okay, well, thank you very much, Michael. We appreciate you lending your uh, expertise and uh, experience to the platform. Um, I'm sure the viewers will appreciate it. We always look to, uh, we always like having uh, new ideas come across our, our screens. Um, and thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, been really good to, to chat with you again. Hopefully we'll catch up in another two years and see what happens, maybe sooner. Well, well, I don't know if you have time for me if you get elected, but I would <laughs> enjoy that as well. All right, sounds good. Thanks so much, Dougal. All righty, thank you. I'll end Thanks this here. Cheers. All right.